We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 39 months into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and somewhere between iconic and psychotic. The man who will unfortunately not be with us next week because he and one other contributor will be laying in the sun with zinc oxide on the nose and a straw hat and a cold beverage. Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? Hello. Yes, I'm 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 annoyed, a bit a bit agitated, really. Good. Good. Ma Makes for a good podcast. I made the mistake of of watching the local propaganda outlet just before coming on air and saw what was going on and had to leave the room really because it was just driving me mad. The way in which things were being reported without actually telling any truth. The events were being reported, but the truth behind them were indeed not. How are you guys? Hello, Bruce. Um, howdy. I'm uh, healthy and alive. I, I guess now would be a good time, I guess, to mention that... Um, yeah, we're, we need to get the housekeeping out of the way. We, yeah, we gotta, get, get the get housekeeping out of the way. Out of the way. Right, uh, so... I'm going to be kind of... Uh, stepping back a bit from the podcast, I'll only be on uh, the Wednesday ones. Um, Thursday. Specifically, which will be Thursday for you guys, but uh, Wednesday we record it. Basically, I have uh, I have to find some form of income uh, because podcasting uh, for me is in the middle of the day. So I have to step back to um, try to pursue something else to make some money. Inflation. It's a killer. It is a killer. Yep. So... That being said, uh, another piece of uh, housekeeping, we're working on some other arrangements to try and, and get some other people on. So we will continue to bring you as much content usually, uh, but we're probably going to take an extra day. And to be fair, with all of the research that needs to be done, we could really use the extra day, to be fair. I mean, there's a lot of reading that has to be done and a lot of in-depth study, and it requires attention and it requires time. You've got to have the the necessary, I guess, uh, soak time is the, the term I like to use in order to absorb everything and then process it and then turn around and present it. So we could really use the extra day. However, you will still get Monday podcasts and you will get the every other two or every other 
Wednesdays with uh, Melissa and of course, then you get Bruce and then Marty and then Ned. So we will we will all still be here. And we're working on getting someone else on that is hopefully in the works. And I'm hopeful, as I was telling you on the phone earlier, Marty, I'm hopeful that that individual will accept. And I don't see why they wouldn't. But let's see if we can get them on for the first thing. And then we'll worry about a recurring thing after that. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just incredibly gutted that I won't get to speak to Bruce at least once a week. So yeah, I'm genuinely upset by that because uh, I, I think uh, our little three-way, we bounce off each other quite well. Uh, and who have I got to wind up about anything religious now? That's, that's just not fair. It's a good point. That's, that's just not fair. I'm going to have to email you or we'll get you to respond in, in a recorded message, even if it's just to tell me to Foxtrot Oscar so to speak. Well, if you'll excuse what I'm going to do here in just a little bit, I'm, I've am i been keeping this one in the back pocket. I'm going to wind Bruce up religiously here very shortly. So um, with that being said, and while we're discussing that, so next week, because of the holiday, right, July 4th in the US, because of the holiday, we're going to be taking the extra day. And then we're only going to do two next week. So you'll have Mondays, which will be with Ned, and you will have Wednesday, which will be with Melissa. And then we will be taking the rest of the week off because Marty and Ned are going to be, as I said already, basking in the sun, enjoying good food, good weather and cold beverage, correct? That is correct. Yes, indeed. I'm very much looking forward to it. It's a little place I've always wanted to go to. Don't know if I mentioned it before, but it's the place where apparently Captain Corelli's Mandolin was filmed. And um, it looked beautiful in the film. But I found out just the other day that the majority of that film was in fact filmed in Corfu because Kefalonia had a massive earthquake in 1957, which knocked down most of the old buildings. So the only part of it is the doctor's house. But anyway, we're going, lovely beaches, nice hotel, boat trips. Um, I may uh, drive on on Greek roads, although I've done it before and it wasn't a pleasant experience. So we'll have to see what happens there. Fishing? You going to be doing any fishing? If I could manage to fit a fishing rod um, into my luggage, then I probably would do some fishing. We'll have to see what happens. If, if one of the first shops I happen to visit is a tackle shop, then there, there, some fishing may, but it's just like um, I've, I've got a problem with that because I don't want to leave anything I buy there. Just like the people at Glastonbury, the big music festival, who buy brand new tents to go for a weekend's camping and then just leave all of the tents, all of their gas cookers, all of their trash in a big field. Uh, yeah, Johnny's got pictures up of it now. We, we were talking about it in prep, but. The farmer who owns the land factors that devastating pile of garbage into the prices that they charge for tickets. And there's always a herd of volunteers to pick things up. All the people who want to go and attend the concert for free are marshals, so they have duties here and there. And before they get paid, they have to pick up all that trash. GP would be very proud. He would be very proud, yes. Of course, he would not be very proud of the piles of trash that they left behind. Uh, they also left a bunch of these, um, uh, what do you call these, yeah. these nitrous it's oxide. nitrous canisters. oxide. Yeah. 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 I mean, 
when we go on these little breaks that we are inclined to do, we quite often stay at hotels that are quite close to the airport. So we can leave our car there, don't have to travel up to London early hours of the morning. We just get up, get on the flight and away. The last time the car park literally had thousands of those nitrous oxide canisters. And it's obviously, you know, an absolute plague of this kind of drug abuse or substance abuse. Indeed, it is terrible, terrible devastation that they actually left behind. So before we get any further into this, would you like to elaborate on what you let off with about the uh, awful mainstream media that you were watching before you came on tonight? Because we haven't discussed that. Right. Well, the first thing was the riots in France. They were covering that. It was um, so many, mem well, not memories were being triggered, but it's so many similarities between that and the response and that for BLM and the George Floyd situation. It's the same story, just being retold in a different country. According to this guy's mother, he was a respectful teenager. So why did a policeman feel it necessary to shoot him at point blank and immediately get charged with murder? No investigation, you know, obviously the, the there could be video footage of whatever happened, but it, it it just smells of another created uprising that will have most people saying they shouldn't be allowed to do that. We don't want our streets destroyed. We don't want our car overturned and set on fire. Ban protests, ban protests, which is essentially what BLM was about. It's what Just Stop Oil are about and we've said before the french will riot at the drop of a hat they're very keen to um you know get on the streets and have their let their feelings be known and i sort of applaud them for that but this again looks like another total setup indeed it does and to kind of add to that i told you macron was attending an elton john concert the other night, uh, actually it was last night, so he's not too concerned about it. He sent out his usual tweet saying, remain calm, thank you to the police, the gendarmes and, you know, the others that are out there and and we need to support them and, and we all need to just remain calm and vigilant during this time. So he doesn't seem very concerned about it. Well, okay, Elton John's had a few good songs, I'll give him that. But when your country's on fire, north to south... The last place you should be is at a rock concert or a pop concert. Again, it's indicative. It shows you what the real priorities of our current elected leaders across Europe is. It's got nothing to do with keeping their countries or making their countries prosperous again after uh, being devastated by lockdowns and purchasing useless gene therapies in the guise of, of vaccines. It's its all about, well, it is, it, it, it's about a restriction of civil rights. Well, here to tell us about a restriction of civil rights and who did it the best during all of that, who did it the best? China was the example. Is now even what Neil Ferguson said, look, we, we didn't know that we could actually get away with what the Chinese were doing until we just did it, right? Well, here to tell us all about it is one of your favorite people. He was speaking to the WEF summit 
in China over the weekend, and he's congratulating them on how wonderful it was to have the lockdowns. And that is dear old Klaus. Premier Li took his office this March at China's National People's Congress at a critical moment when China adopted new COVID control measures and started to boost economic development, social dynamism, and international cooperation. So you see, by taking the new COVID measures, you see it boosted the economy. So you're looking at it wrong, Marty. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at it like what it is. It's a turd in a suit. That's what it is. <laughs> I posted or tried to post a link to a video of Witty, Chris Witty, who was uh, Ferguson's counterpart as Doctor Doom and and Major Catastrophe uh, on the the you know the regular COVID updates broadcast to the nation. And the thing that was most revealing about that was that he said, oh, uh, well, we wouldn't have shut the country down uh, and we wouldn't have put these restrictions in place if the politicians hadn't have said that's what they are prepared to do. So on one hand, we were being told that the politicians, air quotes, are following the science. And then we've got the science in the form of Chris Whitty saying, oh, no, no, we were doing what the politicians said. So there's a bit of uh, of wriggling and backpedaling. And Klaus can say what he likes to the Chinese until I get within five feet of him. I don't know why he goes over there and panders other than the fact that he's allied with them. I made the claim yesterday that people make this this assumption that he's somehow separated from what the Chinese and what the Russians are doing. No, no, not in the least bit. They're allied. He's over there speaking to them right now. That was their version of their Young Global Leaders program that's sponsored by, actually, I believe it's his son, Oliver or Olivier, however you pronounce it. I believe that it's his son that actually runs the uh, World Economic Forum Beijing office. There's not a conflict of interest here. There's a cooperation and an understanding. As an ex-military man, I'm used to indoctrination. There's no doubt about it. Within the armed forces, you are indoctrinated into a way of thinking. Sometimes you can break your programming, such as I have, but that's what those programs are. They're a brainwashing indoctrination. It's a cult. We've talked about cults before. And if you want to be on what they think is going to be the right side of history, get yourself into in, into the cult. Now, a while back, remember we talked, I can't even remember his name. It was probably a made-up name anyway. It was probably someone from 77th Brigade just winding me up, told me that he would meet me in Davos and would introduce me to people because every, all of his experience was positive about the World Economic Forum. I remember the name specifically just because it's one of those names you just don't forget. It was Mark Barfield. Mark Barfield. That's it. I wonder if he's still listen, listening, or I wonder if one of his colleagues who's on watch when this comes out tomorrow, if they're listening, can you tell him to get back in touch? Give me a shout, Mark. It'd be lovely to have a chat. Come on the show. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'd forgotten his name. He's that insignificant, and I, I fully, fully believe he's he's probably some kind of, of troll, 77th Brigade, you know, agent. Could very well be. 
I'm trying to decide which way I want to go next because you mentioned a cult and we've got two cults to deal with here. And I'm trying to figure well, before, out if I need to. Yeah, go on. Go on. Before we go there, there were two more items on the news. Yeah, go on. That, go on. Uh, this ought uh, to be good. That, broke, that, that really broke me for today. Now, given that they've just done the attempt at, uh, you know, Titanic tourism, which ended really, really well, there's a couple on the local news. The man is blind and his wife, he's an ex-veteran, uh, or he's a veteran, and he and his wife are in Canada at the moment, and they're about to take off in a hot air balloon, which will go almost into upper atmosphere, possibly just above upper, upper atmosphere, and then travel across the Atlantic. And this is, this is a charity. A charity's paying for this to be done. I don't know how they intend to raise money They'll raise awareness, certainly, but they well they won't necessarily raise much money when they've got to pay for a kind of space shot hot air balloon to travel across the, the, the Atlantic. Are people not learning that these kind of you know expeditions are just not worth it? If you have to climb a mountain, climb a mountain. If you have to walk across a desert, walk across a desert, but you don't have to put yourself in harm's way. Uh, by going to two and a half miles under the water or five miles straight up. Yeah, that was another thing that really annoyed me. A blind man and his wife crossing the Atlantic at extreme altitude in a hot air balloon. Why do I feel like this is going to end badly? Well, I really hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't sure too, yeah. Of course, I, I hope it I, goes I, smoothly, but I have a feeling that just something's going to go wrong and it's going to be one of those stories, you know what I mean? It's like the, the submarine. Yeah, when people pay into a charity, they want that charity to spend the money in such a way that it benefits people who are sufferers of whatever that charity is set up to alleviate. They shouldn't be paying for a ridiculous expedition it's it's not necessary and it 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 winds me up enormously but that isn't even the worst thing the worst thing today announced on the news is that as of today being the 29th of june imeres a french company is now mining lithium in cornwall they estimate that they are going to get 20,000 tons a year out of this seam of lithium. It's going to ruin the local environment. We've all seen what lithium mines look like. And, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if our country has to be polluted to feed the desire for electric cars. Why the hell isn't it a British company? Why isn't it nationalised? Why does it have to be a French mining company that are going to rape and destroy a large section of one of the most beautiful counties in the country. And we have so, a friend who has, we have a mutual friend who has a uh, second home there and he, he swears yeah. by it. He spends a lot of time there. Well, that mutual friend doesn't like to fly. So I suppose that's the nearest. Maybe he, he can, can take get his electric to a, car to a foreign to get country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, Cornwall is a beautiful place. Uh, it's, mostly volcanic rock it's the part of the country that is all granite and basalt it's got you know beautiful beaches uh moors mountain well not mountains as such but certainly high hills which are have, have all got volcanic rock underneath i mean 
legend has it that Tintagel would have been the, the, the site of, of Camelot, the Arthurian legend. Yeah, if, we, if we're going to ruin large sections of our countryside for electric cars, at least it could have been a British company that was doing it. I thought you guys were supposed to pull out of the European Union deal, as in allowing other countries to come in and access your resources. Well, as you know, for many Catholics, the withdrawal method seldom works 100%. That's true. That is true. Uh, and, and so what we've got is an unwanted pregnancy of, of European influence still. Indeed. And um, I, I have a feeling that that's probably going to be solved. Uh, that's a problem that's going to be solved on the other side of this. But anyway, um, you mentioned a cult, right? I've I've got I've got three different things that we can get into. I got three different avenues. I thought that since we're already into this, Bruce hasn't had a chance to speak yet. And you said something about uh, winding him up uh, religiously. So I'm going to to take the liberty of doing that right now. This is a cult that we're dealing with, and this is the effects of what has happened by the infiltration of our religious institutions. I invite you to rise in body or spirit, and let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God, whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the ace quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. Yeah. Um... That's uh, obviously blasphemy. Uh, if you want to go by classic Jewish tradition, the Godhead, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is uh, used in feminine text or, um, you know, feminine uh, gendered uh, w w the wording or the lettering, whatever. Anyway, all that to say, uh, yeah, that's that's just blasphemy. I, for the benefit I, 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 of honestly, the listener, sorry, but for the benefit of the listener, Bruce is actually bouncing up and down in his chair. I can feel his hands clenching as as a result of watching. I think that part would have been the creed, uh, that that part of the service. Sorry, Bruce, I didn't I didn't mean to interrupt, but I say this this, this is an audio medium, and people are missing out on so much information because of of not being able to see just how pissed off you actually are. Yeah, I'm uh, frustrated. Yes. Uh... Part of the angst is uh, also I am absolutely roasting and sweating here uh, pretty heavily because it's like 80 some degrees in my room uh, from all the lighting and uh, everything. But yes, uh, I honestly don't know what to say to that. That That is just complete blasphemy. I, I, I don't even know where to go to, to tear it apart. Um, the the, the, the whole start? thing, by the way, go ahead. I will give them the, uh, a bit of credit. Technically, Jesus did have two fathers, technically, because you had uh, uh, the uh, stepdad 
and then you had the father god right uh, so yeah. you know technically uh but he also had a mother as well so uh, anyway yeah. I, I don't i don't know what to say to that 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 is just absolute it's heresy why did nobody in the the audience stand up and be like this is heresy uh you, th this is we're, we're out we're gone how can you this call yourself a happens. christian at that point and you're denying the the godhead you're de you're denying god it, it's what happens when you've been locked down for two years. You'll just go to any church just to be out of the house. But at least they didn't try to say our them instead of our men at the end of the creed. That's actually a fair point. They're, they're fair not point. quite as woke as they could be. Yeah, yeah they missed that. The, I'm, sorry, I'm sure they'll change that on the, on the next print of, of yeah, whatever we, they call. Can we at least start with the beginning of this? What is the Sparkle Creed? I'm sorry. Where, where does that that's come the, from? Yeah, so that's the transgender or the LGBT oh. friendly oh, uh, creed. Okay. Yeah, so okay, they, they basically, right. um, that's the heresy, if you will. Got um, it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's one surprise that I had. Uh, I felt that I had to bring you in on the, uh, the conversation there, Bruce. So I've got that. And keeping with the cult, I'm not quite sure where I want to go next. Uh, I guess I guess that I will go here. I guess keeping keeping with that, I suppose, and then I'll 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 take one step in another direction, in the ecological direction, because you talked about what's going on in Cornwall, and there, there's so much of this I'm trying to mesh together, and it's it's very difficult because usually I don't get thrown off like this. But this was a report that was done by ITV News just last night on the inflation that's happening in the UK and the rise in energy costs. This mother is having a difficult time and will have a difficult time in the coming months ahead. This customer fears that either bill payers or taxpayers will end up picking up the tab. The idea that we're going to have even greater water bills, soaring bills, a time of uh, prices already being hiked, you know, we have to pay a lot for food. That's tough if your mum like me already struggling to get the things that my kid needs. Customers rightly want the lowest possible pollution, but also the lowest bills for Thames Water and the entire sector. That's creating a financial fault line. Chris Choi, News at 10. Financial fault line for a, for a young mother like that, you see. Okay, for the benefit of the listeners, that was a bloke in a dress. Why does IT... Couldn't ITV have got a heterosexual female at birth mother to say the same thing no they couldn't because they want to be woke they want to appeal to the rainbow pound audience whatever you want to call it everyone's a fucking unicorn what the f honestly this is the real problem that i have with as you know got absolutely no problem with individuals who want to do things to the same sex i haven't got a problem with that as long as it's consensual what i have got a problem with is people who are very clearly male deluding themselves and trying to delude others that they are female they're not it's a man and not to take away from the the the, the point, I'm I'm just sick of it now. Everything has got this agenda. I've yeah. been noticing it for years now. Advertising, everything in advertising, rather than go with the majority, it has to be the minorities all the time. Every family that you see is either two dads, two mums, again, mixed race kids you know, are actually some of the strongest, most gorgeous-looking, healthiest children because that mix of genes creates a very good human being. But we're about 14% of 
black, Asian, Middle Eastern in the United Kingdom. Tell me why every advert has to be BAME people in the advert. Tell me why every other advert has to be, you know, either non-binary, gay or trans. Haven't they learned? Haven't they learned with, um, you know, Bud Light, for instance? They fired her today, no, by the way. Him. Him. They fired no, her, him no, today. No, her. No, the, the woman. Oh. No, no, not not Mavalny. I'm talking about the woman that was over, the executive that was over the marketing department that started that. They fired her today. But they she, put her on leave. She got fired this afternoon. It's really un unfortunate for her. But again, as we mentioned earlier on about the cult, all those people sat there listening to Klaus, oh, what a lovely bust of linen I have, Schwab, are being brainwashed. That woman who had got to, whether it was through positive discrimination or actual business acumen, got quite high up within the company. And now she's lost that career and she's lost that career for the most ridiculous decision. And it's all because they're being driven in that direction. I've got bosses as well that keep churning out all kinds of fluffy, flowery, supportive messages that don't support me or the way I feel. In fact, seems to marginalize everything that society is really built on, which is mum, dad, 2.4 children. That's what society is built on. That's the building block. Deepest sympathy. Uh, in fact, they don't need my sympathy. People who are gay are probably very happy if they've come out and they've got friends who support them and family that support them. But this trans bollocks is just being pushed too far. Yeah. Yes, there will be occasions where, you know, that there is a, a real imbalance. But most of these imbalances are purely mental and they have been created and encouraged and it's, it is a cult and it's a plan and, and we do need to speak out against it. I think it, it rolls back to the um, beginning of this agenda itself. It rolls back to part of the uh, the Marxist conspiracy to take over and infiltrate our institutions and, and cause problems within our society and cause division. So they're creating all of these groups, they're lumping all of these groups into one to form this supermajority, which you've talked about here many times before. And yep. that's part of this is it's just throwing another group and, and throwing more chaos and more division and more rigidity on top of this crisis. I've just remembered another piece of news from this evening that I thought I'd buried and got rid of. We've got an organization, a charity, it is a charity called the RNLI, which is the Royal National Lifeboat Institute. Now, these volunteers operate inshore rescue craft right the way around our coastline. Apparently, there is a, a campaign to stop toxic masculinity within the RNLI. People from the suburbs of London are moving to the coast and demanding to be taken on as volunteers on these these lifeboats. Now it's a it's an extremely arduous, hazardous task and it takes a lot of training. Most of the people who are RNLI volunteers are sea fishermen, uh, you know, trawlermen and have a great deal of experience at handling small craft in heavy seas. But because all of these straight out of the suburbs of London woke hipsters want to wear bright orange 
and be incredibly brave and rescue people, uh, experienced skippers are being told by the RNLI, a charity, which, by the way, you've heard of Stonewall, I take it? Heard of Stonewall, yes. Not this RNLI thing, no. No, but Stone Stonewall are sponsoring and... RNLI, the charity, have signed up with Stonewall for their uh, equality and inclusivity thing. So these experienced uh, inshore rescue volunteers are being told you mustn't be uh, sexist, you mustn't be overtly masculine, and you've got to accept these people into the system. It's just another way that everything is being undermined. We are becoming weaker and weaker. Is it happening in Russia? No. What is happening in Russia is far worse, quite frankly. We'll talk about that. People, yeah, well, yeah. I thought before we we talk about that, I thought we would end that as our final segment. You know, giving you giving your your thoughts on what's going on with uh, with Wagner. But this to kind of round off our discussion here on the uh, the cult. I'm glad that you guys have actually done this because now you have a clock that will remind you exactly when you're supposed to take action. And King Charles himself, along with London Mayor Sadiq Khan, have officially activated the climate clock. Three, two, one. King Charles helped turn on a climate clock at a summit in London this afternoon. It triggers 150 similar clocks across the major cities of the UK, counting down the seconds to 2030. The estimated deadline for limiting climate change to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. But the UK's climate watchdog had a stern warning for the government today. The Climate Change Committee said its confidence that the government would meet its own legally binding targets for cutting emissions by the end of the decade had fallen markedly. Well, I don't know what to take, take from that because the last bit says that they haven't achieved uh, their targets, um, so they're not on target. So why are we bothering? In pre-industrialized levels, that means we're going back to pre-industrialization. They're saying it yeah. in the, the explanation. I'm sorry, I... I've always been a patriot of my country. I haven't always been in favour of the royal family. I spent a period of time when I thought I'd grown up when I was in favour of the royal family. And to see those two sharing a stage, it cuts me to the quick. It, it, it really does. I wish I lived on an island. I do live on an island, but I wish I lived on one somewhere mid-Pacific where I'd been never discovered by modern society. I just want to I want to go back to the stone age let alone pre-industrial. Well, my friend, they're taking us there. So, <laughs> I don't think you'll have to wait too long with the uh, the type of nonsensical policies that they're putting forward. Yeah. Ned and you guys did that whole session on climate and environment and no one's listening to the people who actually know. They're just listening to the narrative which is driving us to depopulate and deindustrialize. And in the future, we won't own nothing and be happy because we ain't going to be there. What more can you say? All right, on to the attempted coup. Marty, would you like to tell people what you're wearing around your neck? Ah, ah, yes. This, this is the gold medal for the winners. Now, you can't see because it's too shiny, of the tug-of-war competition for the International Fleet Review in Penang, of which I was a team member. Because the other night when you were talking uh, or 
when I was listening to the to your podcast, you were talking about Russians and their various tactics and how they do things and the whole concept of of Wagner and his and his group of eight thousand soldiers or contractors, the fact that he could do it and then everything be forgiven and off he goes to Belarus, which is as which close is, to Russia as you which, could ever get. Yeah, which we learned last night is most likely a disinfo op. There is that yeah. we're we're working on. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah. But the way the way the the Russians have always worked is you have your your grunts, the people who are expendable, and they have to toe the party line, and then stood behind them. Usually, well, particularly during the Second World War, with a heavy machine gun, were the commissars. So if they don't go forward, they get shot by the commissars. And at the 1990 Penang International Fleet Review, we had navies from all over the world, including the United States, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, several Southeast Asian countries, and Russia. Now, in the tug-of-war competition, the UK, the Royal Navy, we won. Russians came second, and the Americans came third. And we were each given an ever larger hamper of food and and coffee and tea and all kinds of nice things that the people of Malaysia thought we'd really appreciate. I mean, yeah, the fact that we've got booze and steaks and all kinds of food and coffee and teas on board didn't deter from the fact that it was a nice prize to receive. But Later that day, as we were sat around watching various displays and bands and drinking beer, the Russians on one table, us Brits on another, all outside, the Americans over on another table, it started to rain. And this miserable, well, I I say miserable, they were probably very happy to be there, but they looked very sad and wet, little Malaysian family, mum, dad, three kids, poor as church mice, were stood back watching us drink beer, have a good time, eat loads of food. So I stood up and took the hamper because we were never going to eat it and gave it to this family. Now, the Russians, who had basically cabbage stew with the occasional bogey, you know, stuck in it for flavor on board, they were smoking those Stalin organs, sort of cigarettes that had, I don't know, about half the amount of tobacco in them that a normal cigarette would have. They got up next and went and gave their prize to this same family who by now, all of their Christmases or whatever the the Malaysian Buddhist or Muslim equivalent was, so Eid. And then both us and, and the Russians are now looking at the American table going, well, come on, Elmer. Go and give it, and and the guy said, "Oh no, no, we we need to take this back to show the skipper. We need we need photographs." And so that's when the fight started. But the commissars, the commissars that were with the Russian sailors, were the ones that very rapidly pulled guns and uh, ushered their men well out of the way. So anything done within a within a Russian military context, there's always someone with a gun pointing at the back 
of their own people. It's funny you say that. I have this photo. You know how I've been kind of joking that Prigozhin is this, uh, which we're not even entirely certain that's his real name. He's um, a hot dog seller, you say. He was, yeah, he was a hot dog salesman or something during the Soviet era. And he became the caterer, right? He was he was Putin's caterer at like all the state dinners and everything. I just so happened to have, and since you put that description together, this shot makes sense now. This is from 2006. As you can see, this is Vladimir Putin. Don't know who the, the young lady is there. She looks very angry. Next to him, of course, is the US president at the time, George Bush. And as you can see yeah. here, that is Prigozhin, right? That's the man. Yeah. Now, I'm wondering if that man behind him has a gun in his back, a Makarov in his back. <laughs> He's certainly got one in his pocket. You would think so, yeah. It's the way they are totally mistrustful of each other. It's quite a good model to live by because you seldom get surprised if you are always expecting the worst from your nearest and dearest. But it's also such a horrible way to live. And, and that's what they've done to us. They've taken all of the trust. When I say they, we know who we mean when we say they. The New World Order, whoever's doing it, have taken away all the trust we had in our own governments, our own politicians, our own systems. That's the way they live. So this idea of a transition from the West being subsumed by the East and us all adopting Marxism as our forms of government is getting ever and ever closer. And, you know, who can you trust? You, you can trust no one at the moment. So we're already living like the bastards. They've already done that to our state of mind. On to the, uh, uh, the coup. It's all over. I, I was watching the, I was at the gym the other day and they've got all the, the flat screen TVs up there. They had the German media, the French media, the British media and all the usuals, right? And everybody, it seems like in a well choreographed play, they're all saying the same thing. So when you see the script like this being rolled out and all these countries are saying exactly the same thing with a couple of deviations here and there. Of course, it's not exactly. That's because whoever that was didn't read the script properly. Apparently not, yeah. You can tell that it's a staged event. The whole thing is it's been it's been scripted. Bruce and I were watching the whole thing with Prigozhin a couple of months ago, starting with that, and we're looking at it and we're like, "Boy, this is just like this is a this is terrible acting. It's not even halfway convincing." And then this happens, and you're supposedly launching a coup against Putin and his his guys, his entourage. And the next day, all is forgiven. I don't believe, as you said, you know, you've you've got so much distrust. You're not going to to be able to see the light of day the next day if something like that happens. Right. Well, I can't pronounce his name, but the head of the Wagner. Prigozhin. Um, you have Genny Prigozhin. Prigozhin, yeah. Prigozhin. He controls those boots on the ground. Yeah. Supposedly. They, they That's what we're told. They don't come with their own dedicated and, you know, integral air support. If you're moving 8,000 men across parts of Ukraine into Belarus, the Russian Air Force could have ended them in minutes. They could have ended them in minutes, but they didn't. So that tells me, I mean, it, that would have been a coup in itself. That would have been a real own goal. But they would have done it because that's the way they're set up. That's the way they think. If you don't go forward the way the commissar says, you get shot in the back. And if you turn around, you get blown up by strike aircraft. Simple as that. So, yeah, the whole thing is staged. It's for another purpose. And you went on in the in the last 
podcast to, to broach the the concept of uh, suitcase nukes and their idea of fighting through an area. Yeah, your um, comments, please, but, please. Yeah, expound upon. Um, you're fairly accurate in the with a tactical nuke. You're not as uh, restricted. The normal nuclear, biological, chemical uh, protection equipment for an individual. If you're on the periphery, you can stay relatively safe, but not for long because it is very, very tiring wearing and people make mistakes when you're wearing a respirator and a full noddy suit, as we used to call them. Now, the, the Russians are always had heavy rubber NBC protection suits. They had quite effective gas masks. And when the Americans did Operation Paperclip, and took all the rocket scientists west. The Soviets grabbed an awful lot of the chemical engineers when they went east. And it's the, the same kind of protections for chemical agents, biological agents that protect you from radioactive particulate contaminated air surfaces and so on. So they are quite advanced in that respect, but the concept is that self-sacrifice unit the unit that will will just press ahead gain the ground and then all die horribly in in the process it's like the french foreign legion always fight to the last man they've never won a battle because they are ordered to fight to the last man yeah in the, it, it, in the book i'm reading now uh basically it's it's laid out like this and please feel free to, to interject if you need to but the idea here is that they're looking at at nuclear weapons as an actual offensive weapon, whereas ours are for retaliatory purposes and defense, nothing else, not offensive. This particular tactic that they follow within their doctrines is you'll have target acquisition, they'll take out that target, and then you move the units in directly behind it. As in, they're going to have to cross that contaminated area as quickly as possible to get to the main objective that they want to secure. Now, whether that's command and control structure or nuclear stockpiles or uh, missile silos, whatever. But it, the point is, is to get to that objective as quickly as possible and smash any resistance that's left. Yeah, the whole concept just doesn't doesn't work. It, it for doesn't me. work. No, me either. That we're we're looking at Bruce and I are looking at it and we're we're reading it directly out of their own military the the Soviets' own military doctrine the Russians' military doctrine and we're looking at it and we're like we wouldn't do this there's no way that we would we would do this you guys wouldn't do that either I don't I don't believe I've said it to you before I probably said it to you first time about ten to twelve years ago anyone can win any fight as long as you are prepared to raise the stakes higher and faster than the other person, than your your enemy. So I can imagine- answer, Can you answer, yeah, go, go. I'm sorry, can you answer this question? Because we were we were asking this to ourselves last night um, and I was I was just theorizing about it. Can you say, I mean, with, with all of your experience that you've got in military operations and things, can you can you say that the Chinese fight under the same kind of doctrine? Do they follow the same, the same idea? I would imagine so, because I believe their system is based off of the old Soviet system. So I would, I would venture to say they follow the same type of military doctrine. Well, Chiang Kai-shek was trained and given his tactics by the British and the Americans. Mao wasn't. Mao was trained and, and advised by the Soviets. So those doctrines, Taiwan is a different thing where, you know, Chiang Kai-shek's followers wound up. But mainland China certainly follows the Soviet doctrine in terms of how 
they do their war fighting. And they've got a lot of people. They've got an awful lot of people. Our standing army in the UK is getting smaller and smaller. The US uh, is getting diverser and diverser. I don't know if it's getting smaller, but it's it's certainly yeah, it is. nowhere as effective as as it needs to be to maintain that level of defense. And and it is a level of defense. Our expansionism happened in the 1700s, 1600s, 1700s, a bit in the 1800s, and we've had all that taken away from us here in the UK. America was a big enough country in the first place. You didn't need to expand. Yes, you needed satellites in the Pacific in, in particular, just to make sure that December the 7th, 1942, didn't happen again. Expansionism is a Soviet thing. It, it most certainly is. We were always told that if the Soviet grain harvest failed twice, because despite the fact that America was giving tons, millions of tons of grain to Russia, if their grain harvest failed, Moscow would order their shock armies to head for the western seaboard and they had 28 days to get there. If they didn't get there, they would be starving to death behind them. So that's the way that they think, that big push. Lots of people, doesn't matter if you die because you're dying for those people who will starve behind you. And they have got that very kamikaze concept about the way in which they order people to fight wars. The Russian people themselves, you know, the ones that are just putting up with the fact that they are being ruled by Marxists and you and Marxism is their is their form of, of government and the way in which they have to live their lives, probably don't give a toss. But when you've got a gun pointing at your back, you're guaranteed death if you run or don't run forward. If you run forward, you might just survive. I mean, the, the the concept of that is just so is so difficult for me to grasp and wrap my head around because it's just in terms of how you want the morale of your troops to be during battle. I mean, you can't fight and expect to win like that. For example, so let's look at the situation that, that we have in Ukraine. The Russian troops that were loaded onto trains or, or whatever, and they were sent to their, I guess, broken front line, they were promised food and sleeping gear to add to their kit when they arrived. When they arrived and got off of the trains, their commanding officer said, fine food. Excuse me? Uh, okay, where, where are the sleeping bags? Where, where are the blankets? Oh, those aren't here. Sleep on the cold ground. So your troops are arriving at the front, ready to go into battle on an empty stomach, and they don't have any sleeping gear, a sleeping kit, and they're already demoralized. And then you're hanging that over your head. Which is why the Nazis on their retreat, had to employ a scorched earth policy. They had supply lines. They were stretched thinly, but they were still getting some vital supplies during their retreat. The Russians, on the other hand, as you say, were told to forage. And not all of them were Cossacks from Siberia. They were people from cities and towns who might have been, you know, any kind of industrialized job not farmers, not hunters. So they wouldn't have all been able to. If you can just have all, all of your energy and resources put into your teeth arms, then you don't have to worry too much about your logistics train 
your baggage train behind you because they should push forward fast enough to capture whatever the enemy has and take that. But yeah, that that is the way they think. Their their logistics setup is not good, and I think that's that's why. Uh, given all of the news getting back to Moscow about Wagner, about the fact that not enough equipment was getting to the front line within the Donbass and, and, and within Ukraine, news was getting back about that poor logistics setup. And so when he turned around and marched back, I think that's part of the, the setup, part of it being staged. It, it, it covers a number of excuses shall we say. Yeah, for sure. All right, my friend. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Do uh, you have any final words for the week before you get away? Actually, for the next two weeks before you get away, because you won't be here next week. Well, I'm just disappointed Bruce won't be here next time I'm here, uh, because you were talking a little bit about the prophecies of uh, of Fatima. Our late Reve- Fatima, yeah. And- yeah. Uh, and within the revelation, within revelations. And I don't know, I'm going to have to look it up again. But and I can't remember if I've said this on on a podcast before. We're talking about nuclear biological warfare, and we're talking about the end of times. And I'm sure there's a passage in Revelation that says, and the men at sea will look to the shore and see their cities burn and throw ash in their faces and cry, alas, alas, alas. And the immediate action drill, when you go to put your your respirator on and you do your decontam. Obviously, I think it said the men at sea in green, but it may have not said in green. You'd be wearing a green NBC suit. Fuller's Earth is the decontaminant uh, absorbent powder that you dab your gloves with and wipe the inside of your mask with to make sure that there's any chemicals or even radioactive particles are absorbed into this stuff called Fuller's Earth. And when you exhale... To make sure you've cleared your mask of anything, you shout gas, gas, gas. And I just think it's it's really quite funny that there's a section in the Bible that describes a gas mask decontamination. Uh, that's Damascus being destroyed in an hour's time, uh, what you're referencing. Aha. Uh-huh. What, in one hour's time from now? No, 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 no. <laughs> one hour's time as in, you know, the it's leveled within an hour. Yes. Yeah. But see, I enjoy that kind of stuff, that kind of conversation with Bruce, and I'm going to miss out on it. So go and make some money and then get your butt back on. Definitely going to try to. Right. That is going to do it for us for today and for this week. Gentlemen, I'd like to thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great weekend. We will see you on Monday. 